Good morning. Welcome to Fellowship of Huntsville Church. And uh, if you are visiting with us this morning, we'd love to get to know you and get a little information from you. There's a card underneath the chair in front of you, the connection card. You can fill that out either electronically or place it in the box in the back, which is also where we take offerings to, to give to this ministry. We'd love to share with you about what we do here, the different opportunities. If you've been going to church here for a while and not plugged in, we'd love for you to do that and uh, visit with any of the staff or fill out the card and we can get in touch with you. So this weekend, um, Friday night, uh, Jennifer and I have a date night. And so we go out on a date, which is really a date. But you know, for m most of our marriage, date night also includes going shopping and uh, getting gas in the car and, you know, those kind of things. And so, so we go out and we pick the night of the, the hurricane storm that comes through. And uh, so we go to Kroger and we're leaving Kroger. And <clears throat> so we're running to the car and my entire backside is soaked and I have no water from the top of my head and the front. So nothing here, all this is dry, everything's the back. And I'm thinking we're on a boat and the Alaska, Alaska coastline and uh, where in the world this come from? So it's cold and it's raining and then we gotta go get gas. So I am not complaining. This, because uh, I remember back the uh, summertime this last summer when there were six straight years of 100 degree weather. And uh, so we are not complaining at all. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 4. We did have a good date night, by the way, so that, that did not ruin our date night. It was just an adventure. And I'm sure many of you experienced the same thing. All right, Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. There's just, what, uh, six, seven words here? Very short verse. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So it's interesting in Scripture you have just glimpses into lives of people. So you have a little bit of information about Adam and so forth, a lot about Moses, Abraham, quite a bit about Jesus, quite a bit about David. But even in the context of, of what we're looking at, if we, if we read about King David or we read about Christ, it's still just a snippet into their lives, just a bit of information. And God is pulling out just enough for us to know exactly what he wants us to know. And so this is the case with Luke, who's not a main character as in described, but he has a lot of doings and things and involvement in the writing of Scripture and speaking to us as God speaks through him to us. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are and I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the life of Luke and how you used him, how you used him to bring information and detail and truth to us and to the generations past and future for the uniqueness of who you are and how you use man to speak to us and speak to our hearts. I pray the same thing this morning that you speak through CF and that your truth will be made known to us. And we say this in your name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Good to have you here with us this morning. How's that? Is that better? All right. 
We're going to take a look at the passage that he read uh, and take a look at Luke, which is not a very prominent passage in that book, but there's a lot of principles about Luke and his life that we can look at and put into our own life or seek to put in our own life. But, uh, you know, when you go through a book of the Bible like this, the Bible teaches us that, the, that the, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. And he says all Scripture. And this is one of those Scriptures. There are truths in here. God is, is, uses economy in his operation. In other words, God doesn't waste stuff. There's purposes and reasons. So when I got this verse, I thought about just lumping, like most commentaries, verses 10 through 18 into one sermon and just touch on it like that. But as I studied it more, I thought, you know, I got to force myself to go in and find out what this is about. Just like last week, we looked at Epaphroditus or Epaphras, and we saw that he was a person of prayer. And why was that important? Why is it important to strive and labor in prayer? Because we're in a spiritual battle of, of evil. And, and same thing's true today. And so we come to Luke, the beloved physician. And so we're going to take a look at Luke, as he's mentioned here. And what a lot of people don't know is Luke wrote, when you look at the total writings of the New Testament, Luke is the most prolific writer in the New Testament. There's more scripture attributed to the writing of Luke than there is Paul or John or Peter. Uh, and that's because Luke wrote the book of Acts and he wrote the gospel of Luke, wrote both of those books. And so he wrote a lot. The other thing that's interesting about Luke is that he is a Gentile and the rest of the writers there are Jewish. So he is a Gentile. And so a very insignificant man, as far as space allotted for him in Scripture, becomes a very significant man in the overall thrust of the kingdom of God. And I felt that's a good application of you and me. We don't have a big stage or a big platform often. So what can God do with my life? Or how can God use my life? I think Luke is an illustration of that that a person that avails himself to God can be mightily used by God. Because God's given you life, and he's given you breath, and he's given you position and a place in his creation. And as long as you are alive, and as long as you are uh, operating in that realm, God has a purpose for your life. Amen. And you've got to find out where that is and what that is and be found faithful to execute that. So hopefully this passage today will help us do that, and hopefully you'll learn a little something about Luke that might be interesting for you also. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll take a look at it, okay? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is given to us to bring about purpose, to bring about direction, guidance, insight, and Lord, through that word, your Holy Spirit works to give us illumination and to empower us to do it. So, Father, help us to receive your word with gladness. Help me to 
teach your word in truth and accurately. And that, Lord, that you would take this word this morning and utilize it in the lives of people that are here today. That we would apply it and we would serve you in all that we do, Lord, I do pray. So, Father, I give you this time. And you know where each person is and where they are in their life. And I pray, Father, that you would help this word provide them guidance and direction today. And we ask this of you in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Our text says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Luke is mentioned four or three times in the writings of Paul. One is right here, Luke, the beloved physician. The other place that he is mentioned is in the book of Philemon, Philemon 24. And in Philemon 24, Paul says this. I'm going to back up actually um, to verse 23. It says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. And in the third place that he's mentioned is in the book of uh, 2 Timothy. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's writing at the very end of his ministry while he's in prison, and Paul was executed shortly after this letter was written. But as he's writing in this letter right here, he says, verse 11, 2 Timothy 4:11, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Those are the three places Luke is mentioned uh, in, in the entirety of Scripture. Um, Luke is the prototype of what we would refer to as a medical missionary. I'm going to speak about that more later in the, in the message because I have an illustration of a medical missionary friend of mine. So he is a prototype of that. He was, he was surrendered to God and was missionary in his vision. As you look at your text there in Colossians, he says, Luke, the beloved physician. The word for beloved that is used there in that passage is a derivative of our word agape. If you look at that word on the screen, agapitas, the first part of that word, A-G-A-P-E, is the word agape. And agape is a very commonly used word in the Greek text of the Bible to reference love. And it speaks of love that is born of God. Love that comes from the heart. It is not human love. It is love produced in our life by the Holy Spirit. It is also an act of the will. We choose to agape people. Phileo love is love that has emotion or feeling attached to it, where we have feelings, where we have emotions uh, towards somebody. It's what we refer to commonly as friendship love. This is my friend, and you have feelings towards your friend. I'm talking about friends before Facebook, real friends, true friends, <laughs> people you actually know well. This is my friend, and I have feelings and emotions towards this friend uh, versus agape, and agape is an act of the will. Agape is the love that God has for us when he says, love your enemies. And what he means is it's an act of the will. You choose to love them. How do you love them? You treat them with common human decency. If he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. But you don't have feelings towards him. You don't have that passion for him. In a marriage relationship, 
A marriage relationship has agape love and has phileo love. It has both of those loves that are mentioned. Uh, you have strong feelings for your partner in marriage, but you also have love that is an act of the will. You choose to love them in spite of what they do. Or you don't love them simply because of what they do. You love them for who they are. You love them for their position in the relationship. Well, this word here, agapitas, means to be or to have a love that is born of God, uh, but it also means to be loved very much. It is a deep, heartfelt love. It is a word that was used quite often for love for children, my beloved children, because there's a great feeling, uh, there's a great intensity devoted to it. So it's a derivative of agape. And Paul says that Luke is his beloved physician, that Paul has a great love for this individual. As I said at the introduction, Luke wrote the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke. And in the process of writing that, he never mentions himself. Okay, he never draws attention to himself. So how does Luke come into the picture? Luke came into the picture on what was referred to as Paul's second, second missionary trip. Paul had third, or three major missionary endeavors that are listed in the gospel or in the book of Acts. And Luke comes along in the second of those. So how did Luke write about those missionary trips and yet he wasn't there for the first one? The narrative, folks. He researched it and got the information uh, from Paul. And so I want to look briefly at where these are mentioned. So turn to Acts chapter 16. And I'm going to show you how we know that, that Luke is there. In Acts chapter 16, and this is Paul's second missionary trip. And we're going to take a look there in verse 10. Acts 16, 10. It says, this is right after Paul has this vision. Verse 9. Let me just go ahead and read 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had this vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. That we, plural pronoun, means that Luke is there with him. Okay? Concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So you see how he's including himself there. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course uh, to Samothrace, And the next day came to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that port of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. And then he talks about Lydia and such. Uh, he says, and Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, 
If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she constrained us. So clearly, Luke was there on that journey. Luke is with Paul. We're not going to look at it on his journey in the, in the 20th chapter there. And then he's with him again in Acts 27 through 28, which was Paul's voyage to Rome and Paul's you know, final trip or whatever. And so Luke traveled with Paul. When Paul was incarcerated for that two-year period, that is when Luke most likely went down to the regions of Samaria, uh, Perea, Galilee, Nazareth. And he went down in those areas. And what he did, folks, is he researched the workings of Jesus Christ. And that's when he put the material together to write the book of Luke, or what we call the Gospel of Luke. And what he did was he's very methodical in his process. Turn with me, if you would, in the, in the book of or Gospel of Luke, and look at Luke chapter 1, verse 1, and you see his introduction there. He says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of these things which are most surely believed among us, a narrative of what thing? A narrative of the ministry of Jesus Christ when He was on earth. So Luke says, I'm going to set things in order. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. So that gives you a little insight on what Luke did. Luke went into that area and he would go in there and he would sit down with all the people mentioned in the previous gospels. Because at that time, Matthew and Mark were already, had already compiled their material Luke most likely had a copy of that or had something from it. And he began identifying all those different areas. And so while Paul was in prison for two years, Luke was close by. So he goes over into that region and he started looking all these people up. And what he did is he interviewed them just like a news reporter would do. He interviewed them and then he recorded the material in the Gospel of Luke. Verse 3 says this, it says, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understandings of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Now, Luke is from the city of Antioch. And there are two cities of Antioch. If you look on a map, there's one up in Macedonia, very near the city of Colossae. And there is an Antioch that is in Syria. And so if you come out of what is modern day Turkey and come down that uh, western coast there, the first country you come to is Syria. And there is a major city in Syria called Antioch. He was called Luke from Antioch of Syria in extra-biblical writings. Extra-biblical writings are writings that are compiled that are not in the Bible, but they were obtained by the early church fathers, meaning the first generation after the time of the beginning of the church. And Eusebius was one of those early church fathers, and he refers to Luke in his writings as the physician of Antioch. Now, why is Antioch significant? 
Antioch is significant because Antioch is referred to as the cradle of Christianity. That when Christianity spread through Asia Minor, it was headquartered at Antioch. Antioch was a major area. It was a big city of 200 to 250,000 people. It is also the city in which uh, people were referred to for the first time as Christians. And that's in Luke 11, uh, verse 25. And so they were referred to as Christians for the first time in that city. And so Luke operated from that city. And when he's on, with Paul on this missionary trip, he journeys down into the area of Jerusalem, Galilee, Nazareth, all those areas there, and starts interviewing those people. That's why he says uh, in, in the text here, he says, verse 1, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things, which are most surely believed among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, they delivered them to us. And so he got eyewitness accounts from the people that were actually there, and then he wrote them into the scriptures. Note also in verse 4, when he speaks of most excellent Theophilus, uh, he says, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. He's talking to Theophilus there. Well, who is Theophilus? We don't really know who Theophilus is, but many theologians and early church fathers thought that Theophilus was very likely King Agrippa. And King Agrippa first surfaces when Paul confronts him in Acts 26, 28, and Agrippa listens to Paul talking, and he says, Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. He tells him that. And many people think that what Luke did is Luke went back and did the writings of Acts, because both the writing in Acts and the writing of Luke is, is addressed to Theophilus. But if you'll note something, it says, most excellent Theophilus. He was a person of nobility. He was a person of well-renown. And so very likely, Luke compiled this literature together to deliver to him, to give him a full account of how the church came into existence. A very detailed account of the narrative of Christ. Luke is a very long gospel, a very detailed gospel. But if you'll look in the gospel of Luke, beginning with verse 5, he goes all the way from verse 5 through chapter 2, all the way in chapter 2 to verse 52, and he gives one of the most detailed accounts, well, he gives the most detailed account of how Mary came to have the baby Jesus and how Jesus was born. He gives the most detailed account. How would Luke, who was not an eyewitness of that event, be able to record something of that great a detail? He probably went to Mary's house. Is Mary here? I am she. That's how they would speak back then. I am she. And they come into the room, and he sits down with his scroll, and what does he do? He says, tell me about my Lord Jesus. And Mary starts giving him a detailed account. She tells him everything that took place in great detail. And Luke writes it down so what? So he could give us an orderly 
narrative of the way these things happen. He's just like a news reporter, except he's not a liberal nut. He is <laughs> writing the truth of God, and he puts it down for those people so those people can receive that in their life and understand. And you and I benefit from it. When you want to know the Christmas story, the best place to go is the Gospel of Luke. When you want a detailed account of the resurrection, I believe the beloved physician went in there and sat down with those people that saw that resurrection and said, tell me, what did you see at the tomb that morning? He interviewed those women. What did you see that day? Tell us what happened. And he compiled this and he puts it all together and he puts it into the Gospel of Luke. And so we have an accurate account, a real firsthand experience account of what took place in that day and time. And so Luke is used mightily by God. But note something. Luke doesn't mention himself in either the book of Luke or in the book of Acts. He never does. He never throws himself out there or tries to draw attention to himself. Many people believe that Luke was a, what they referred to in that day and time as a ship physician. He rode around on ships and then very likely ran into Paul on one of these, Paul was coming off of a journey and came to faith in Christ somewhere along the way and jumped on board in the ministry there. And for the rest of his life, up until the death of Paul, he stayed with him. He stayed with him the whole way. And so when you look at the life of Luke, you can gain a lot of insight on the character of Luke and the person of Luke. And there are some qualities and traits that Luke has that I think are valuable for us. Because see, a lot of people think that going into ministry and doing work for God, that really the only way you can do that is you just got to gotta quit the job you're in and then you got to sell everything you got and you got to go off and go to seminary. Uh, when I got saved and then I felt God was calling me to preach, which happened to be the next day, and I thought, what is going on here? This is, this is crazier when I got saved. I mean, I'm trying to process this in my mind. My biggest concern when I got called to preach was that I'd get up and start preaching and just cuss words would come out of my mouth. That was my <laughs> biggest concern because the first time my pastor asked me to preach, he said, I want you to preach a service tonight. I was in his office and I was, I was shaking. He said, what's wrong? He said, are you nervous? And I said, oh, I'm not nervous to get up and preach. I said, I got up and spoke before people before. That's not a big deal. I said, I've done it in my current job. I did it when I was in the military. I, I held offices uh, when I was in high school and in college. I said, I'm not, I'm not concerned about that. He said, well, what's troubling you? I said, I'm afraid I'm going to get up and start cussing. And he says, what? And I said, you got to understand, man, my life has been the Marine Corps and the prison. I said, a common form of language in both those places is not the kind you use in church, man. I said, it's not real conducive to being accepted by the church crowd. And I said, since I'm, he said, were well, you cussing right now? I said, well, no, I'm not. I said, I hadn't. I said, I hadn't done it a bit, but I said, it's on my mind. I'm worried about that. And I'm afraid I'm going to just get wired up and get going and it's just going to come flying out of my mouth, man. And he said, well, you need to pray and, and, and pray for God to protect you from that. 
This is real stuff, folks. I mean, I was terrified of it. I thought, I'm going to get up and preach, and my ministries be over after the first sermon, man. No one will want to. That's that cussing preacher. I was in a church service. I seen that dude cussing one time, man. God protect me from that. And I've been preaching now for 37 years, and uh, I don't knock on wood or nothing, but if there's something here, I'd knock on it. I promise you, I hadn't done it yet. It hadn't come up. And it's not a part of my life, but it's a part of my past. And it's a big part of my path, okay? And so when I, when I started preaching, I thought, I've got to quit what I'm doing, sell everything I got, and we got to go. And so my wife and I, we put our home on the market, and we had a buyer like in three days, and he was going to give us more than what we paid for the home. And we were like, boy, this is great. And uh, we get up the day of the closing, and he backs out on us, and we couldn't sell it. And I'd already gone up and been accepted at uh, uh, seminary and was already going. Every time I tried it, I tried it three different times, I had roadblocks in a path. You know why? Because I thought there was only one way to do ministry, and that was to sell everything you got and go and, and do that full time. For some people, that is the model. But God had different plans. God had a different route, a different way. And I say that for this reason. Don't think that there is only one way that things like that happen. God uses people and uses different pathways all the time. In the case of Luke, what did he do? The beloved physician continued to be a physician. He continued to use the training that he had. Luke was a brilliant mind. He had been trained in the medical field and had worked in that medical field, and he was very akin to Paul. Paul was a brilliant mind. Paul had studied at the best secular schools. He had studied at the best Jewish schools. He had been tutored by the best leaders in the Jewish faith and had been a Pharisee. He was at the top of the ladder, and Luke was, and what did God do? God took the, the best of both worlds and put them together. And they worked as a team. And so what I'm saying is this. God can use people from any background to bring about his work. God needs faithful ministers in every area of life. He needs them as college professors. He needs them as doctors. He needs them as skilled craftsmen. He needs them working in the prison. So he needs them everywhere. That's how God works a lot of time. And you look in the Bible and you will see how that takes place. But I tell you, the key to Luke is this, that Luke had humility. That is the key trait that Luke had. Luke was a humble servant of God. And the first thing that draws my attention to that is the fact that Luke never mentions himself with the exception of saying we are us in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts. He never draws attention to himself. In the Gospel of Luke, he puts all the attention on Christ. He puts all the attention where it needs to be. He points to Jesus all the way through the Gospel, but he was humble and he was used by God. He was Paul's personal physician. And he was beloved and valued and treasured by Paul. I've done medical missionary trips before, and one of the men that got me interested in that I met in seminary. While I was in seminary, I met a man by the name of Dr. Lewis Wilson. 
And Dr., we call, I called him Dr. Lou. Dr. Lou was an OB uh, gynecologist doctor. That's what he'd done all of his, delivered over 4,000 something babies. And he was in seminary. And I thought, what is this old guy doing in seminary? Because I was like the oldest one in there at that time, or one of the older ones. Most of those guys were in their 20s. And then there was this one older guy, and he was 60. And, uh, and you know, when you're in your 20s, late 20s, early 30s, 60 looks, it seems old. I'm 65 now, man. 60 looks young. But uh, maybe not from your viewpoint, but from mine it does. 60... At that time, going to seminary, I thought, what is this guy doing? And so I went up and talked to him, got talking to him. He said, well, actually, I'm a doctor. And he said, I've got a, I've got a practice down in spring. And he, he goes on and tells me his whole thing. But he said, I've had a strong burden for a long time. He said, I grew up in a, and he grew up, he told me, in a liberal Presbyterian church. And he said, through that, by studying the Bible, he said, I came to a deep, meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. And he said, in doing that, he said, I now understand that I can be used in other areas. And he said, I want to be a missionary. At the age of 60, he decided he was going to go on a mission field. He finished, he completed his training. He sold his practice, and then he went out on the mission field as a physician. And he went into all these different countries, and he would use his medical ability to, to take care of people, and in the process of doing that, would share the gospel. And I went with him on several trips. I went with him to Medellin, Colombia. I went with him to Haiti and various places like that. He planted churches in those areas. And he ended up planting over 30 churches before he passed away. Passed away in 2017. But he had planted 30 churches in those areas using the, the training that God had given him to minister into the lives of other people. So what I'm telling you is that's very similar to Luke, man. A medical missionary that went abroad sharing the gospel of Christ using his medical work. There are people that do it. The young man that comes to the church here all the time, Presley, that's over in Vietnam, Presley's doing that. Uh, he's in areas where he teaches English as a second language and such. And wonderful ministries that, that these people are able to have. That's the kind of ministry Luke had. But I'm going to tell you what, folks, the key thing to Luke was he was humble. He didn't mind letting Paul have the show. He didn't mind playing second fiddle. He was humble as long as the work of God was going forward. He didn't put himself out in front. The second thing that Luke had, the second trait that Luke had that I see that's admirable in his life is that Luke was loyal. He was loyal to Paul all the way. He stuck with Paul. All those trips on those ships and the shipwrecks and all this other stuff that they went through, he never left the side of Paul to such an extent at the end of Paul's life when he's writing in 2 Timothy 4.14, he says, he's here with me. Luke is with me. But see, he was loyal to, to Paul. You've got to understand when Paul launched his ministry and he went into all these unevangelized areas, he was faced with all kinds of opposition. People that are not acquainted with ministry, they think, you know, I'm going to go into ministry and this is going to be fun. And, and I'm like, yeah, it's fun, but there is a lot of pitfall and there is a lot of struggle involved in ministry also. 
A lot of people start ministries, and then when they get going in it, they realize the opposition that's in it. Anytime you do ministry for God, you are going to be hit with opposition. You're going to be hit with every problem in the world, every conflict in the world. And one of those conflicts that you often encounter in ministry is people that oppose you. And God told Paul before he even began his ministry, Paul, this is going to be a tough road. I'm telling you right now. Go to Acts chapter 9. After uh, Paul got saved, God came to a man named Ananias. And in Acts 9.13, it says, Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, talking about Paul, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Paul was a savage killer. And he would go into churches, drag people out and have them killed. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And it's like Ananias saying, and that's the guy you want me to go talk to. Do you think I'm crazy? That's what he's thinking, folks. He's afraid that if I walk in there to Paul, this guy has orders from the chief priest, and I'm a believer, I'm fixing to sign my death warrant. He's fixing to take me captive. And so the Lord tells him something. He said, but the Lord said to him, said to Ananias, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So he's going to minister to Gentiles. He's going to minister to those in positions of authority, kings. And he's going to minister to the Jews. So he's going to have a broad ministry. But look at what it's going to entail. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul knew on the front end that ministry was not going to be a smooth road. He says, I'm, he says Ananias... We're going to explain to Paul on the front end that this is going to be bad. And there are going to be times that Paul is going to think that he's going to be dead if it was not for the Lord. And in the process of doing that, he had a lot of conflict, folks. Turn to 2 Timothy 4.14. The, the, the passage involving Luke is 4.11. I said 4.14 while ago. 4.14 is one of his opposers. He says... 2 Timothy 4.14 Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. I would not want to be Alexander the coppersmith. I mean, there's the beloved Paul pinning his last letter from a prison cell and he said, this guy here is a major troublemaker in ministry. May the Lord repay him. He says, you also must be aware of him for he has greatly resisted our words. There's another reference. Turn over, if you would, to uh, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy and uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, I believe it is. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. As he speaks to Timothy, Paul says this, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Note what he says about ministry. Waging the good warfare. 
having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom a Hymenaeus and a Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. See, in order to do ministry, loyalty is a key thing. Loyalty is very, very important because ministry is a battlefield. And there are going to be many casualties along the way. And if you're going to do ministry and you're going to minister to someone, loyalty is a very important aspect of ministry. Jesus spoke about it. Spoke about it in a parable. Uh, and if, you, if you'd like to uh, turn to this parable, I want you to look in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. This is when Jesus does a miracle and they attribute it to a devil. And it says, but some of them said, uh, verse 15, I'm sorry, Luke 11, 15. It says, but some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And others tested him, sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their hearts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, and he does, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes away from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. And here's the key verse right here. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. That's the key to the verse. This is not a formula on how to fight devils or something like that. He's using an illustration. He's saying, I could, I'm not casting out demons by the power of the devil. He said, what's happened is one stronger than the devil's come, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I've overcome his power and delivered the people that he had held hostage. And he said, let me tell you something. If you're not with me, you're scattered. See, that's where loyalty comes in. Loyalty is very important because, folks, every one of us and what we're doing in life, we're either gathering to the kingdom or we're scattering. We must have loyalty to God. We must have loyalty to our primary calling. And what is that? Child of God. And Luke, in his position, you can contrast him with, with Hymenaeus, and, and Alexander. Alexander and Hymenaeus were both people that were scattering the kingdom of God, whereas Luke was one that stuck with Paul and was faithful to the ministry. And the last thing that, that I would see about Luke is that Luke was a servant. Luke had a servant's heart. So he was humble, he was loyal, and he was a servant. How was he a servant? He faithfully ministered 
by writing the Gospel of Luke and by writing the book of Acts. And he took a lot of effort to do that. He gathered a lot of information to do that and withstood a lot of opposition and difficulty to make sure that it got done. But in addition, when you read the narrative on him in Philemon 24, he, Paul mentions Mark, or, or, or Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. So Paul says Luke is a laborer. He's a servant. He's a minister. And that's extremely important. And it's something we need to look at. Do you have those three qualities in your life? Do I have those three qualities? Are we humble? Are we loyal? And are we willing to serve? Every one of us can do that. Every one of us in here can do that. You say, well, I'm not properly trained. Training is something that'll come. What God's looking for is the heart. And the heart is, do you have humility? Are you loyal? Can you get along with others? Can you help? There's all kinds of opportunity for ministry that pops up in a church where people can come alongside. And someone as insignificant as Luke that has three passages of Scripture that basically just mention his name, you look at what God did through the life of that man. You look at how many people's lives have been changed by the, by the book of Acts and by the Gospel of Luke. They're written and penned by that man by the work that he did. Look at the ministry that Paul was able to do because Luke was right there with him. Luke was there to serve him. And he was also there to encourage him because when Paul was lonely, he could always count on Luke was there. I know that Luke is there. Luke is my friend. He is my beloved physician. What a title to have. To go through ministry in your life where you don't have the limelight, but yet the, the lead player in that ministry said, couldn't have been done without this guy here. That's what these credits are. You go watch a movie and you see the actors on the screen and you hear all the stuff going on in the movie, but the real juice behind the movie is all the stuff that goes on the screen at the very end. Because none of that other stuff would have... All an actor's doing is they're like, uh, I've always said this before, Hollywood people are like trained monkeys. They just repeat what they're told to say. That's all they do. And they try to make it look as real as possible. The writing of that movie, the, the putting the whole show together, coordinating, putting everything together, that's all the unsung heroes behind the scene. Those are the people that really do the work. I met a guy... Uh, this past week that has done like five movies and he came in and spoke in the prison. One of the men in there, uh, Damon West, brought him in to speak. But he's done Saturday Night Lights and a bunch of movies that people knew about. And he was a producer is what he is. And he puts the whole show together. And I talked to him and we interacted together and it was amazing to me the amount of work that it takes to do that. Folks, for Paul to do his work, it took a lot of people behind the scenes to help Paul. And we all benefit as a result of it. Luke is an example of that guy that doesn't get the limelight, but he's there to help and to serve and to impact the kingdom of God. And just like Jesus said, he who doesn't gather with me, scattering abroad. Be loyal to the call of God. Be faithful to the call of God. And God will use you in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.
We thank you that even though we are not faithful, you are. We thank you, God, that you are looking for people that have willing hearts, people that are humble, people that are willing to serve. And Father, I pray that you would find them here today. That Lord, you'd speak to our hearts of what you'd have us to do and how we could serve and minister in a better way. Father, let us be found humble and loyal and faithful to serve that we might impact the kingdom just like Luke has impacted the kingdom, Father. Father, that's my prayer, and I pray for those before me that we would do that. And I ask this of you in Christ's name, Lord. Amen.